John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Let's just pray together. Father, you know what we need before we ask you, and I know many people smelling the roast will need the roast right now. Father, I pray that they would open their hearts and we would open our hearts to hear from you this morning. That, Father, we would be those that are not just church attenders, but those that take you and your word seriously. And Father, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Father, you would give an anointing on us to hear what you say, anointing on me to speak what you want me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 16. Just to give you some background, John 14 to 16 um, is some of the most amazing teaching on the Holy Spirit that you'll ever come across. You don't need to go and buy, you know, Brother So-and-So's 59,000 pound teaching on the Holy Spirit. Just read John 14 to 16. It is an awesome, awesome book. Awesome, awesome few chapters of Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will come to do. And at the end of the 16th chapter, verse 33, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Just read that again. These things I have spoken to you, so all the things he spoke about the Holy Spirit, these things I have spoken to you, so that you may have peace. So if we're going to have peace, real peace, not just psychological peace or peace from a, a candle or peace from a massage oil, but real peace, okay? We're going to have real peace. There's got to be a desire to listen to what Jesus says in the gospel. Does anybody agree with that? In him we have peace. So Jesus spoke the things that we can read ourselves so that we will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, if you want to be somebody who is achieved something in a certain field, so whether it's medicine or education or business or whatever field you can mention, whether it's sports, whether you want to be a great footballer or a great darts player, you don't really need to do much to be a great darts player, just drink a lot, eat a lot and throw stuff. But whatever it is, <laughs> whatever, you, whatever it is that you desire to be, the way you can be better is to be around somebody who is already better. So somebody who's put the time in, put the effort in, put the study in, had some experience in that field to be around them. And, and we call that in society mentorships or internships, where people go into a business and they intern with people for a while in order to get experience from that director or that educator or that medic or whatever. And that's something that in our society is seen as really important. However, in the church, it's like, forget discipleship, forget mentoring. 
We all know it because we all got the Holy Spirit. We all got YouTube so we can download the latest words on YouTube. So we don't need any mentorship. But I really believe that Jesus wants us to be his disciples. And disciples study and listen to what the disciple is saying. Jesus is our disciple, isn't he? More than what other people say about Jesus, more than books, what does the primary source say about Jesus? And what does Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, want to say into our own hearts? That's going to give us peace. Because if I look around our church and I look around the world, there is a lot of trouble. There is a lot of suffering. There is a lot of tribulation. But Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome it. So I want to be around somebody who's overcome stuff so I can overcome it. What about you? I want to learn from somebody who's overcome stuff. And the ultimate example is Jesus. What I've found in my life, what I've found in my life, in my short life, amen, I'm young still, is that when you follow men, you get disappointed. When you put your faith in an individual man or a woman, you get disappointed. But I've never been disappointed with Jesus. He's never disappointed me. I may have had an illusion of what I can expect from Jesus. And when you have an illusion of what you can expect from Jesus, you can become disillusioned. But it's based on an illusion, isn't it? But he's never, he's never let me down. He's never let me down when I've put my trust in him. When I've tried to do it my own way, I may have fallen flat. But when I've done it his way, he's never let me down. And so often, we go about doing our own thing, meandering our own way, and when it goes wrong, it's God's fault. And God says, just take a little bit of time to learn my ways. Learn the way heaven works. Learn the way I operate. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom. His kingdom means this, the way God operates. God wants you to seek the way he operates above the way the world system operates. Jesus said here, the word world there is adornment or arrangement of things or system in the Greek. It means the system that's set up to make a few very, very rich and everybody else not very rich. It's the system that's set up to keep certain people in power and make sure everybody else is powerless. It's a system that's rigged against humanity and it's been rigged against humanity since the book of Genesis. This is what I was talking about last week. But Jesus comes to establish a new system. He comes to establish a new system and he says things like this, if you want to be the greatest, you be the least. If you want to be served, become the servant of all. And he establishes a system that's not based on subjugating people, stepping over other people to get what you want and to get what we want. But it's actually by serving and empowering others, we can see the desire in our hearts. That's the way this system works. Put it this way, sow and you'll reap. That's the kingdom of God system. Now, there's other examples of that in different religions. Karma, for example. You know, what you, what, what you give it will come back to you, and it's always seen as a negative thing. <clears throat> but can I suggest to you that God's system 
is that when we sow into life and we sow into the Spirit, we're going to reap greatly from that. So let me say this to you. Spending time reading the Scripture is not wasted time. Spending time in church services is not wasted time. Spending time in worship is not wasted time. This is an investment in not just this life, but also in the life to come. There's an investment in this. And Jesus says that you'll have trouble in this world because this world system, brothers and sisters, (coughs) is stacked against humanity but is in complete opposite to the kingdom. So the kingdom says, give and you'll receive. This world system says, get, get, get and hoard as much as you can. It's a completely different system. And I just want to talk about that a little bit this morning because... I really believe that God wants us, individually as in a church, to be blessed, to be a blessing. I was talking about that last week. But if we're going to be blessed to be a blessing, we need to have the heart of heaven, not the heart of this world system. You know, some people want to uh, be Christians and be part of a church so that they can get out of it what they can get out of it. You know, so, so somebody may come to a church and think, well... Well, they must have some money. I can get some money from them. Or they can meet my needs. But God's system is is not consumer-related. It's to be consumed by him and then to give away. That's the system we're dealing with. And yes, God wants to meet our needs. And yes, God wants to bless us. But he wants a heart that reflects his own heart. God is a giver. God's system is based on sowing in faith and then reaping, not hoarding. Good stewardship is not hoarding your time and your wealth and your expertise and your intelligence and your wisdom. Good stewardship is giving it away. Not many amens there, but there you go. Well, that's fine. You think, think away, Phil. Think away. All right. So we talked last week about the fact that there's these two systems, and we saw them in the life of Abraham uh, there's two systems working, and God telling Abram to get out of the world system, get out of uh, all that false religion and that stuff that was negative, and come into a uh, relationship with the Father. And we, we looked at that last week, and I want to just continue to look at that. I mentioned last week <coughs> the idea that God's system, prophetically in the Bible, is linked with the word Zion. Okay? Did you get that last week? Well, you may have forgotten, but I'll tell you again. Zion, okay, is linked all the way through the Bible with God's system. And Babylon is linked all the way through the Bible with the world system, okay? And we looked last week at the fact that Nimrod, who was the first king who subjugated people, there was no democracy, do what I say, I'll chop your head off, I'll throw you to the fire. That first king of that system, which is still in operation today, all over the world, frankly, even in our country. We have democracy, well, okay, won't go there. (laughs) But this system is in operation still today. And God's system is completely different. He is, the God system is completely different from Babylon. Babylon started in the book of Genesis at a place called Babel, where men got together in unity. Some unity ain't good, by the way got together in unity and said, 
we can build something. And it, and it wasn't because they, they believed that God was above the sky because they were primitive people and they didn't realize there was space and universes. No, no. They were making a point to say that we can do anything without God. And that's that system. That system is we are our own gods. We can do anything without God. We can achieve anything without Him. And it's a prideful, <coughs> you are your own God kind of system. And it was started at Babel. And the actual uh, city of Babylon was built upon the foundation of Babel. So where that, that, that whole, if you look, this is, this is biblical archaeology now. The, 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 the plains of Shinar, which is where Beth, about Babel was built, the tower, when it was destroyed, the foundation of that massive tower was the foundation of the city of Babylon. And um, <clears throat> the whole thing is a picture. You know, these things have historical and archaeological significance, but more than that, God is trying to paint pictures. Don't get too caught on that stuff. God is trying to paint pictures. And basically... Babylon is the antithesis, is the complete opposite of everything God stands for. All right? And Zion is what God stands for. We looked last week that God is interested in bringing heaven to earth, and the picture he uses is a garden. Remember, he planted a garden in Eden. And what did he say? Let's go to it in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, this is, whether you believe or not this is historical fact, is in some way not that relevant. What, what, what you have to see is the spiritual significance behind it. I believe this happened, but there's a spiritual significance behind it that's much deeper, okay? And, and the fact is, that when it says that, that God brought Adam out of the dust, or man out of the dust, it, the dust simplifies a desire to receive. That's what the Hebrew says. So God made man with a desire to receive, Okay? But then he was supposed to be in line with God's heart, not just to receive, but also to give. The problem is, man has just kept receiving in the Babylonian system and not giving. Do you understand? So, let's just read on. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four riverheads. Right, so we found some information about Eden. This is, this is really important because it's all a picture of what God wants to do in the earth. He plants a garden, and there's four headwaters going from this garden. What does that mean? 
does water flow downwards or upwards? Downwards. So can I suggest to you that Eden was on a mountain or a high place, all right, for rivers to flow downwards from it? So you have this picture emerging of God's, it's, a, it's an imagery of God's domain, of God's imprint of his life being a garden, being a mountain where rivers flow down. And what does he put in this garden? He puts his man. And in his man, the Bible says, were all men. We all died in Adam and we all live in Christ. So he literally put in one person a whole city in this garden. Are you with me so far? So this imprint of God looks like a garden, it looks like a mountain, and it looks like a city, a place full of people. You have to, they're very small, but they're all in Adam, okay? Very small, all right? <coughs> Are you with me so far? And then the other thing that throughout the Bible <clears throat> that God describes his people as, right up to the time of the church, is the bride. So the bride of, of the Son of God, the church is the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, in Song of Songs, the, 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 the church or the people of God are described as the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? That you and I are beloved. So you've got these four things that describe God's heart for his people and God's heart for his system. It's going to be a garden, a beautiful garden. Now, when you see a beautiful garden... Something's happened to that garden. It's not a wilderness. It's been cultivated. Who usually cultivates gardens? Gardeners. It's not a trick question. (laughs) So gardeners do. So men and women who have the function of being gardeners, they cultivate gardens. Without them, that garden is going to become what? A? Weeds. It's going to become a wilderness, isn't it? So even though God planted this beautiful garden... Without you and I to cultivate it, it's going to become something entirely different. Are you with me? And that's what happened. We, as a human race, walked away from God, and instead of cultivating the garden of his delight into the whole earth, because the rivers that went from Eden are a picture of this garden, this kind of system, going to the whole earth and covering the whole earth with the nature and life of God. Are you with me? But we decided to walk away, didn't we, in Adam? And as a result of that, instead of cultivating the garden, instead of cultivating what God had done, we took from it and left it to be a wilderness. And boy, do we live in a wilderness now. We've got absolute nutters who've got nuclear weapons. We've got, fill in the blanks who that is. We've got, we've got all sorts of things going on in our world, haven't we? And, and this, 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 that God intended to be a beautiful garden where there was no poverty, where there was no sickness, where there was no sense of inferiority and shame, one person better than another, has become what it is now. And that's the Babylonian system. And the church, believe it, you, you thought you just turned up on a Sunday and that's church. No, church, the purpose of church is to change the system. Every single day, by you walking into your workplace and changing the atmosphere by, because your heart comes from a different system. Jesus put it this way. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. 
You're an alien. Turn to somebody and say, I'm an alien. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are. You don't belong here. Everybody's searching for aliens. They can see loads of them in here if they came in. <laughs> we're not of this world, but we're here. Listen, what, what happened to you when you became a Christian? The Bible says, and we use this awful phrase, which I really don't like, called born again. It kind of really... Are you a born again Christian? It's like, oh my word, get over it. But, but, but the phrase literally in the Greek is, are you been, you've been born from above. You've been born from a different system. You've been brought, born to bring heaven to earth. It's not all, you're a born again Christian and you're not, so you're better than you. Wrong system. Wrong system. See how the Babylonian system encroaches into the church. Well, I've done more Bible study than you. I've got a deacon badge. What's that, what, what's that got to do with anything? It's about us bringing heaven to earth. It's about his system coming in to everything that we are. And, and Babylon is the antithesis of that. <clears throat> you know, there is some historical evidence that at the center of Babylon were hanging gardens. The Babylon in the center of it was the hanging gardens of Babylon. See, the enemy tries to counterfeit everything God does. Babylon was a big city. It was on a mountain. And Babylon in the book of Revelation is described not as the bride, but as the harlot. The complete opposite of God's heart and God's system. You see, a bride gives herself for love. A harlot gives herself for what? Money, because it's that system. And this system stinks, this Babylonian system. We need it out of our hearts, out of the church, out of our thinking. You know, all gossip, all judgment of other people is based in the Babylonian system. I have the right to judge you because I'm a king over you. That's what you're saying. I have the right to know your business because I believe in the 1984 state where the, the powerful people know everybody's business. Oh. So big in the church of Jesus Christ. Judgment, gossip. Somebody messes up. Well, kick him out. I don't see it in God's system. I don't see it in God's system. The sad thing is because certain people are so full of the system, they may sing the name of Jesus and praise, but their heart is still full of that Babylonian system. They end up, even after becoming a Christian, sometimes in a worse state than before. I don't get that. I don't think they've really met the God who is good. I don't think they've really met the God who is love. I don't think they've really met the Jesus that died for them. I really don't think so. In the book of Daniel, another incarnation of Babylon was in the time of Daniel and his compatriots. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. <clears throat> and it says something really interesting. If you turn with me to Daniel chapter 1, we'll just look at it for a few moments. Are you still with me? I know there's a lot to take in this morning, but 
you know, the reason I'm giving you a lot to take in is because I believe that you are spiritually intelligent. You know, if I just gave you a memory verse on something and then a little testimony that you've heard five times already, you know, that may be good for you, but I believe that God wants to go deeper with you. Amen? Daniel, book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. It's after the book of Ezekiel, if you're struggling to find it. Can I just say, if you're struggling to find a book we look at, just go to the contents. I don't know why, like, if, you, if, you're looking, if you're doing some study in any field, in any subject that you're not that familiar with, and you look on a book in that subject, you have no problem going to the contents or the index. But when it comes to the Bible, we feel ashamed to go to the contents. Can I just say to you, let me release you all. Sometimes I forget where books are and I go to the contents, okay? So just be released in that. Enjoy going to the contents and finding books, all right? <clears throat> so the book of Daniel that's in the contents there. And I want you to look at chapter 1. So verse 3, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the king instructed... These names are hard to pronounce, aren't they? Let's give it a go. Ashpanaz. Sounds good. The master of his eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So what happened is Israel had been ransacked and the best of the best were taken to Babylon, okay? Verse 4. Young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, processing... uh, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of Babylon. And the king appointed such people to have daily provisions and it goes on. My point is this. Have you noticed some of the greatest singers in the world started in gospel music? You know, Whitney Houston, who had a tragic suicide at the end of her life started singing in church and it's like this Babylonian system tries to take the most gifted, the most talented into its system and what Babylon does is it uses people and then abuses people and dismisses people when it's finished with them you see that constantly in the media do you remember once in our nation where Tony Blair was popular Do you remember once where Nick Clegg was popular? And it's like the system brings people up and then knocks people down. And have you noticed that happens in the church as well? Certain leaders get very famous and popular. Then maybe one of them has a moral fall. And immediately overnight, their popularity goes down. Can I just say it's the same system? We're looking for people to subjugate us But Jesus is not the one who wants to subjugate us. He wants to empower us and set us free. But even in the church, we look for people. Oh, I love Reverend Billy Boos Boos on TV. He's amazing. I can never be like him. And he's so better than our local pastor. He's amazing. He's coming to town next week. I'm going to pay 500 quid to go and see him. It's wonderful. Babylonian system! (laughs) 
channel made up, Philip. Let's not, we don't have to be literal all the time. But you get my point? This system is so much in the church. So it says that the best of the best were taken. And the reason why the best of the best are taken by the Babylonian system is because Satan is not one creative bone in his body. He has an ability to create. Only God has the ability to create. You see, our God can take somebody who was a shepherd boy whose own father didn't think he was good enough to stand before the prophet and make that shepherd boy a king. God can take a prostitute called Mary Magdalene who was possessed by demons and make her the first apostolos, the first one to send the message of the gospel. You see, our God is a creative God. And the system that we are supposed to be operating in is a much superior system than this world system. It's a much superior system of how to think, how to live, how to speak, how to conduct family life, how to conduct church life, how to conduct relationships, how to conduct finances, how to conduct power. It's a much better way. But we don't think the church has anything to offer, which is the big deception. You know, that's what the enemy's got left, deception. And you know what deception is? Deception is the power of of greed and greed is the system of Babylon so the more the enemy can deceive you and disempower you and through the Babylonian system he can take everything you were supposed to be take everything you are because you're not we don't bother getting in the word and we don't bother getting into the right system so we don't know who we are and what we have and as a result he can steal 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 and that becomes our life well I say enough is enough We're going to see this system, God's system, come to pass. Amen? There's another scripture in the book of Daniel that I want to refer to. Go to Daniel chapter 7, please. In this particular chapter, Daniel has a vision of four kingdoms and of the, the kingdom's of this world or the four kingdoms being overtaken by God's kingdom. We haven't got time to go into it. It's a powerful scripture. I just want to read verse 4, which relates to the kingdom of Babylon. The first, which was Babylon, was like a lion and had eagle's wings and watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. That's the phrase... I want to take from this. Babylon's kingdom is this. A man's heart is given to it. You see, the whole message of the gospel, the whole point of what Jesus came to do, was not a work to just improve our lives. It was to change our hearts. Because our hearts had been given over to a Babylonian system. The very core of who we are, as Peter says, the hidden man of the heart was given over to a Babylonian system. Let's just say how. So we get hurt, but we can't forgive because the Babylonian system says take revenge. We go through trauma, and instead of getting healed up in our trauma, we want to inflict trauma on other people. Have you noticed the Babylonian system means this? 
that the very things that some people have been abused at by their maybe their own parents, they go on to do the very same things, even though they said they would never do them. Why? Because they're still in a Babylonian system which recycles sin, recycles abuse, recycles witchcraft into the next generation. What's witchcraft? It's rebellion and it's greed. God's system is totally different. God's system is, I'm going to heal you up from the inside. I'm going to make you a revolutionary for a different system. <clears throat> Where other people try and strike you on one cheek, you're going to turn the other cheek to them. Why? Not because you're a doormat, so you can let my power come in and deal with the situation. That you're going to be a people absolutely dependent on God and his system, not on this world system. And it says that this Babylonian system, men's hearts were given to it. You know, Jesus doesn't demand our heart like Babylon does. Jesus asks for our heart. And it's our decision whether we give it. It's our decision whether we give it. All the way through the scripture, you see the prophets talking about the fact that God was going to change the wilderness, this system of Babylon, into the Garden of Eden. You see it time and time again when you read the Old Testament But that's the cry of the prophets, that he was going to change it. Have you noticed that some of the most important pinnacle moments of Jesus' life were either spent in a wilderness or in a garden? Interesting. You know, he, he took on the enemy in the wilderness, didn't he? He also took the enemy on in the garden when he said at Gethsemane, not my will, Father, but your will be done. That was a big moment of overcoming you see this happen time and time again through the scriptures. And <clears throat> I want to finish with this idea from the, the Bible. There's three major festivals of the Jews. Passover is one. Ingathering is another. Tabernacles is another. Passover, the Bible says, was fulfilled in Christ as our Passover lamb. So he became the object, the sacrifice for our mistakes and our sins, okay? And he was the one that shed his blood for us and became our Passover lamb. So we can pass over from death to what? Life. What's death? It's the Babylonian system. What's life? It's God's system. All right? Second feast, ingathering. We know it as Pentecost. So what happened at Pentecost? Anybody know? The Holy Spirit came. So that feast has been fulfilled as well. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on all people, hasn't he? It's just for us to receive him. And the Holy Spirit will take what belongs to Jesus and make it known to us. What belongs to Jesus? God's way of doing things, God's system. I'm not against manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I'm not against people flying across the room, falling down the floor, crying, laughing. I love all that. But beyond all those manifestations, the Holy Spirit wants to do a deeper work in us. And the deeper work is this, to take of what belongs to Jesus and make it known to us. To take the system that God intended and put it in our hearts and our lives so there's real change, not just a bit of drama on a Sunday. It's impactive when God touches you. I'm not against that. I love it. I want it more and more and more. But the lasting impact is to know the purpose to which he touched you for. 
Well, the third feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. And what happened is, the people of God in the Old Testament, they would, after the ingathering of harvest, because that's what Pentecost was about, a few weeks later, they would take everything they'd produced. It was like the finish of the year. And they would have a great big celebration, a great big festival. And they would come out from their homes for all three or four million Israelites, and they would go on to God's mountain, and they would celebrate there, and they would make booths or tabernacles out of trees, and they would camp there for a few nights and have a great big party and celebrate. And from a distance, what did it look like? It looked like God's mountain with a city, with a garden of people. And it was also God's people, which is God's bride. And that third feast has not been fulfilled yet. But God wants it to be fulfilled through his people right across the earth. And I know in Western Europe, people say church is declining. Well, actually in the UK, it's stopped declining now and it's actually starting to increase. But in Western Europe particularly, it's low. But in every other continent on the face of the earth, the church is growing. People are coming alive in God. <clears throat> but I really, I really hope that they don't come alive in God to continue a Babylonian system of religion, but actually come into what God intended, which to, full, to fulfill, to fill the whole earth with his garden, to fill the whole earth with his life, to fill the whole earth with his self. So two feasts have been fulfilled by Jesus, and you and I have the, in partnership with God are to fulfill that last feast. How do we do that? Every single day, wherever I go, I'm going to sow seed of God's garden in people's life. I'm going to sow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What you're doing, you're cultivating the wilderness of people's hearts and the wilderness of life. You're cultivating that into the Garden of Eden. Yesterday, Chris told me he's working in a charity shop. And when Chris greets people and when Chris helps people, it's an extension of the love of God. Why? Because he's got the Garden of God in his heart. And as he starts to step out and do those things... Some may say, oh, that's a small thing. But God sees it as a big thing because he's joining with God, being a co-worker, being a gardener with God to cultivate people's hearts, cultivate neighborhoods. Because if you can win hearts, you can win neighborhoods. If you can win neighborhoods, you can win towns and cities. You can win nations. So don't think that what you do is small. You are an agent of the kingdom wherever you are. And you're not an agent of judgment, an agent of gossip, an agent of calamity, an agent of sorrow. Let God's system penetrate your own heart first so that what comes out of you represents your king and your Lord. And he's a king that doesn't demand our following, our servitude. He's a king that loves us and gave himself for us so that we can make a decision whether we're going to serve him or serve that system that will bring us ruin. Stand with me, please. Just close your eyes in his presence. Oh, Father. I'm going to play a song in a moment and I'll ask you to sit down and just meditate as I play the song. Just close your eyes and just um, enjoy God speaking to you during the song. It's basically about moving out of the Babylonian system and wanting more of God. And just before I 
play that song. I just want to pray for everyone in this room, including myself. Father, I just thank you for every precious person in this room. I ask that what's been said this morning would go deep into every heart. Father, I pray that even if it's tough sometimes for some of them to get out of bed in the morning because of some of the stuff they're facing, Father, I pray that this word, this, the purpose of them being a co-gardener with you in the world, being somebody to bring heaven to earth, somebody to make things better, to, 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 to bring in a different system and a different way of living and a different way of loving and a different way of being. Father, I, I thank you that each one of us, <clears throat> no matter if we have feelings of insignificance, we are called to this great call. And Father, I ask that we would help you achieve this call right where we are. In Jesus' name.